Welcome back 2018. This is Luke with the Scooby Dudes. I'm so excited to be bringing you uh, another episode of our beloved podcast, or I should guess, I should say my beloved podcast. Uh, Evan has passed away with 2017. He is gone and I am here doing the podcast on my own now. It's, it's going to be different. I'm going to be honest. I feel a little sad, like a tiny bit sad that Evan is gone. But I'm really excited that we're going to be able to jump into the new year the with worst, a lot of good news. The worst part about this bit for me is how you're not even pretending to be upset. What? Like, I, you're, Evan, you're saying wow. that you're sad, but there's no emotion I in your I feigned voice. way it, greater upset than I would have if you actually died. I feel like you should take, take this as a win and go home. How is that a win? You got, you got more? You're saying that if I actually died, you would be less upset than what you just demonstrated. Uh, yeah, okay, well, for what it's worth, I would still probably lie about being upset. I would still put on that face for the world to pretend that we had a good relationship behind the scenes, but it would be a much less convincing lie because you wouldn't. I would know you're not actually really here and could hear me. You know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my perspective. Mm -hmm. The most gratifying thing about this intro is that after I die... I will continue Scooby-Doo's. You'll continue Scooby-Doo's. <laughs> I know. As I, that was the part that as I realized this, I'm like, oh, shoot, I do not want to commit to this. This is more and than I want to do And apparently, you won't find another co-host. Yeah, that's even that too. More likely, if you die, I will sell the podcast to two young, more fresh-faced co-hosts. Uh, all that to say, Evan is still here. I am still here with, for the new year. The Scooby-Doo's. Scooby um... <laughs> Uh, the Scooby Dudes have died. Long live Scooby Dudes. Uh, <laughs> what is dead may never die. Scooby Dudes. He's Luke. I'm Evan. We are two best friends, and we're talking about our favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog too. That dog's name is Scooby Doo. We're talking about Scooby Doo. Evan and I love to uh, talk about the series, the many series of Scooby Doo. Today, we're returning to one of the most original, the most original series, Scooby Doo. Where are you? And we are tackling the second ever episode. Uh, it's called Hassle in the Castle. Man, I'm excited to go into this. This is the earliest episode we've covered since our very original What a Night for a Night. And uh, I say classic a lot in this, ep in this podcast, but this is a very classic episode. It's so classic, it seems like some of these tropes should have had needed more time to develop, which is something we said in uh, the original uh, What a Night for a Night as well. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. Let's tell them what this episode's about. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the synopsis, and then this intro will be over. Uh, so, and I quote from Wikipedia, mm -hmm. The gang goes out on a boating expedition, but gets lost in a fog and crashes their boat on the mysterious Haunted Isle. Uh, that's a proper noun. They decide to venture the, to the abandoned Vasquez Castle on the island for help, but instead encounter a transparent phantom running loose, who threatens them to leave the island and never return. What what I find so interesting about this is that I, I I don't personally watch the show myself, but is that what they were planning on doing to Jeffrey Tambor's character, killing him off? <laughs> oh man, come on! Yeah, Jeffrey Tambor, Arrested Development. I know that guy. I'm aware of his allegations. Look, Evan, I have not kept up on his sexual harassment allegations. Has he is he bad too? Uh, I was just making a riff on on transparent, a transparent phantom. He actually he oh, got oh gosh, I forgot he was he, transparent. He got fired from the show after the allegations came out. Really? Yeah, I, he's I didn't not... even know there had been allegations. And That's a great joke, man. And I'm sorry, I'm not up to TV enough to have caught. No, it. it's cool. The, the, like they they renewed the show for another season, but he will be completely absent. 
uh, from the new one. He is the transparent, though. He's the transparent. And Why I guess... don't they just at least make make him invisible in the show so yeah. that so that <laughs> like, he's a transparent like phantom yeah. running loose yeah. who threatens to leave them to leave the island and never return. Two dudes talking about Scooby Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby Doo's. So, now that that intro intro is done, Luke and I wanted to try something a little bit different for at least this first recap episode of the new year. Um, Because as all of our veteran listeners know, these recap episodes run pretty long. They do. I mean, you're veterans, you've you've got the Purple Hearts and the Medal of Honors and the lack of healthcare to show it. these are long episodes. They, they go an hour minimum, an hour and a half a lot of the time. And we recognize not everyone has that much time in the day. I've been told by close friends uh, that some people speed up these episodes to listen to them. I, I've been told by close family members that the length of our episodes is the greatest hurdle to their accessibility. <laughs> family members who live in a different country as you, and, and they're therefore like, this is the only way they can really get to hear your voice and talk to you, were saying... It's too much. Cut back. So uh, this is one way that we hope to maybe cut back a little bit and keep things a little bit shorter. Yeah, so what we want to do is we want to do a really quick run-through, under five minutes, of the events in the episode instead of concentrating on every single detail. And then once that's done, once we've wrapped that up, we will then uh, go back and then spend time on the highlights or the lowlights. First things first, the gang... They're not in the mystery machine. They're on a boat. It's foggy. What they do is they end up capsizing again on what uh, they dub or Velma reveals to be quote-unquote haunted isle. Yes, the uh, location of the Vasquez castle, Vasquez being a pirate of, of yore. Uh, the, the pirate, there was actually a pirate named Blue Stone, uh, which I know this is supposed to be under five minutes, <laughs> but I assume... <laughs> no, no, go for it. Blue Stone. He was... Tell us about Blue because Stone. of how blue his stones were. <laughs> really? This is, this is worth... Mm, we don't have much... Oh, I guess that's the whole five-minute recap. Glad we ended on that note. <laughs> Do you have more for that? Anything about like, maybe his, his miserly wife or girlfriend? <laughs> you have to understand that I was leaving you room to laugh. <laughs> was there really someone named Blue Stone in this? Blue Stone, yeah. Apparently there was... Oh, really? A, I, I missed that. There, there was a... There was a pirate named Bluestone the Great, uh, and he was the one who sort of um, hid out on Vasquez Castle. That's where the gang is. They do end up going inside um, after Scooby finds a note that says, Danger, leave Haunted Island. Mm, finds it on a crab, and then they do not leave the Haunted Island because they can't. They are stranded there. Uh, they go into the castle. They have some fun hijinks. Daphne gets separated pretty early on. They're, they're accosted by what is according to wikipedia the phantom of vasquez though i don't believe it's ever named by anyone it's 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 dubbed the phantom and what i think is hilarious about the phantom is that here we are it's the second ever episode of scooby dudes sorry of scooby doo mm-hmm. and yeah the ghost that they choose is literally like a man in a sheet with with holes cut out for us I, I will say it's a semi-transparent man in a bed sheet it's it's got everything but the trousers and like black shiny shoes coming out from underneath it, and yeah, the holes cut out of the eyes. It's as generic as it could be, 
it makes the the night in What a Night for a Night seem daring by comparison. Brave, dare I say. It's so... It's such a tame ghost. It, it is, like, it's literally the picture of what a child would say, a go- what would draw for a ghost. I, I agree with you there. And it's still a good child's drawing, but they do they do have some ways of adding color to the villain and the mystery of this. Um, so the ghost is chasing everyone around again. Daphne's separated. She's back with everybody. Um, we're encountering all these uh, kind of magical incidents along the way as we're exploring this castle and going into these uh, secret passageways. Which is to say that the ghost uh, has shown the ability to fly around and also to walk through walls, which is very ghostly. It it leads the gang to believe, all of them, Fred and Velma included, that this is an actual, real deal uh, spiritual entity. Yes, and when the ghost started going through walls, it made me remember, I've seen this episode before. This is one of those rare ones that I remember pretty distinctly from my childhood. Um... I, just a fun little fact there. Uh, the gang does ultimately catch the ghost, and the villain is, just as we suspected all along, someone we had not seen at any point or was referenced at any point during the entire episode. Oh my gosh, okay. I I sincerely apologize. You're going to have to edit this. No, don't edit this. I mean, this is a gaffe on my part. The person who is unmasked is Bluestone the Great. Vasquez is indeed the pirate. Bluestone the Great is the name of a magician, and apparently oh, okay. the ghost was a magician, they were a local magician wanted in six states. Wow. He's he's local and he's returned home. The local hero. And he is Bluestone the Great. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I was like, man, they had two pirate... Why did they weave two pirate legends in for um, a single island and castle? This, I mean, this is... It's, this isn't giving anything away. No. It's it's no one we're going to encounter in the episode. Uh, it's hinted at early on that this might be the case because they find a room in the castle full of, like... Uh, Ma- magical devices yeah like uh like magic prop typical magic trick props like the the box that you cut someone in half with uh i don't know if there's like top hats with like fake rabbits in them there's a lot it, of stuff it's actually incredible how knowledgeable shaggy appears to be about um magical paraphernalia like he lists off like oh this is a solomon's toolbox uh disappearing cabinets levitating tables uh the aztec tomb you're right which i He's got, like, a Fred-level knowledge of magic tricks. It, 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 this is still early on when Shaggy is, and I think we're, we're basically out of the synopsis at this point. We're just going into the episode. But where Shaggy is the ca- the jack-of-all-trades. He's got a hobby for every occasion. My, my understanding is that the Aztec tomb is not, uh, is not a magic trick so much as it is an illusion. <laughs> is it, is, do you really know what the Aztec tomb is, or are you just making a, an arrest development joke? You know what the worst thing is? <laughs> I don't even like Arrested Development. I don't either. <laughs> I, I don't. I think it's. I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's bad, but it is not for me. Wait, the Aztec tomb illusion is an illusion in Arrested Development. Is that what you were doing? A, a joke? I was, I was. I was making a joke. Correct. I, the first I, three things were said in the episode. Aztec tomb. I inserted myself. I didn't know that was. Uh... Okay. I, I see where you're coming from now. Still look good. It's it is amazing that makes Shaggy the uh, the magic knowledge guy. You'd think they just throw that onto Fred's big old pile of knowledge, but I guess they weren't that well yeah, defined it, yet. For for context, for our listeners who haven't heard back to episode one, which came out very early last year, um, in What a Night for a Night, Shaggy is revealed to be, and I quote, the swingingest gymnast in school. Who doesn't want that superlative? 
I wouldn't mind. You know, that I does would, not sound bad. I would not say that Shaggy has the physique of a gymnast. He's N- so tall and gangly. Nor the grace of a gymnast, I wouldn't say. But that's the moniker he has, and he uses it to help everyone in the episode that time. Here, Shaggy, Shaggy has a couple of qualities this episode, some of which we do know about Shaggy consistently. Early on, he's making a giant Dagwood sandwich, a double-trick, triple-decker, marshmallow sardine sandwich. So we know he likes giant Dagwoods, and we know he has, like, really weird tastes. Um, and he really likes magic tricks. Like, those are two, uh, like, a couple of things that are really classic about him and some really weird things that we just do not continue with. Like you said, the synopsis is done. We're now just going through and um, honing in on parts of the episode we either liked or we didn't like or we thought were notable. I do want to go all the way to the end and just talk about the conclusion a little bit more. Because mm. um, there there is a Fred trap. Uh, in classic Scooby-Doo fashion, he's the one who sets off the trap. But then... Scooby-Doo is the one who sets off the trap. Scooby-Doo is, correct. And then he inadvertently tr- uh, falls on the ghost afterwards... Uh, and and traps him or you know like knocks him out or whatever um a policeman or a coast guard a member of the coast guard i'm not sure yeah he reveals like oh this is he, he's like oh this is bluestone the great um what i think would be much funnier if he was like i have no idea who this is <laughs> i'm uh i'm coast guard i don't follow like magic illusionist uh, magic like heist magicians i uh, i just do my job um, that would have been great. That's not what happens. He apparently does follow the big news. The The two things that kill me on the reveal, if I can just jump to them real quick, please. Please, go for it. Is that the gang is so psyched to catch this villain. I don't know if you heard it, but when they caught him, they were, they were all cheering and, like, jumping up and down. It, it was... There, there's a literal, like, yippee! Yay! Hurrah! It's, it's so jubilant. They do not maintain that level of energy beyond this episode. Not even close. The I, the gang, if you want if you want to like reason it out, I would say that the gang becomes understandably more jaded. Way more jaded, yeah, absolutely. No, they they develop thick skin. Like it just doesn't mean as much to them. At this point, they're stumbling upon mysteries. They're not looking for them. This is the second episode. I guess that's true. And neither of these episodes have had them purposefully looking for mysteries to solve. I don't know. Here they're stranded on an island. They really can't do much but explore the one shelter available. In the last episode, they did break into, they trespassed into a museum. They shattered windows to get into. So it's a, not a one for one. Well, but, but, yeah, but uh, they. But, but they, they did stumble upon a mystery. Right, they didn't exactly. seek it out. But once they've got it in their teeth, apparently, they won't let what go. What was your terrier. other note about the. My other note is the fact that normally they say, here's how the guy did it. But in this case, the guy says, and here's how I did it. Blue, Let me show Blue you. Stone, uh gleefully demonstrates. <laughs> like he says, smilingly, for one last time. Like he knows he's going away. Like, you know, you know how a, a proper magician never reveals his secrets? He never reveals his secrets until incarcerated. Then he's forced by law to reveal all of his secrets. Bluestone, with a smile, unprompted. It's true. Uh, he jumps in. They're not even like, hey, show us how you did this. No, he doesn't want... Th- he wants to be the one to show them. And he even says, like, he he's... Isn't he, like, tied up or something? He, and he, like... I, I think he's untied... Like, they turn to him and suddenly he's untied. And he's just got, like, loose ropes around his wrists where once he was tied and up tightly. I feel like he hands them to Fred and Fred takes them away. Are you going to double-check right now? I'm double-checking it right this moment because this yeah. is the... I love this moment. So, after the policeman says, 
The Great Blue Stone is going to do one more disappearing trip into jail. Fred says he doesn't know how Bluestone did this. Bluestone asks Fred to hold the rope. He does hand it to him, and then Bluestone steps aside and demonstrates the trick. And that, I mean, it's a moment that is rife with comedy because he he takes off the item that was, yeah. like, manacling or, like, trapping him and hands it to his captor. And then instead of running away, he just steps neatly to the side, and it, he even then has a perfect distraction, uh, which and and let's just reveal how he was uh, transparent or how he was incorporeal. He was standing in front of a mirror, with a that was connected somehow to a projector that projected his image as he was walking around. And if he just stepped away from the mirror, that would make it look like he was disappearing into something. Right, it, like, it was an old-school hologram, essentially. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it, because that did not exist, and this should not exist either. Um, but, he, yeah, like, it's a perfect distraction. He could have slipped away so easily. He should have, by all means. This scene really made me sympathetic to the magician, who is just really a treasure seeker. You know, yeah, well, I think that's the big thing, is that technically, Bluestone the Great, at this point in time... As, as, like, when I say that at this point in time, as far as the last, let's say, two hours are concerned, has committed no crimes. Yeah, and let's be clear, this is a two-hour-long episode that's shot in 24 style with a cameo by <laughs> Jack Bauer. It is a long episode that they opened into on just their second episode. Scooby-Doo again, doing daring stuff. Um, I think, like, I, I want to say, that is probably a very accurate estimate about how long this takes on the island. It does have a good sense of time. Like, there's no... And pacing. They show up on the island, and he dresses up as a ghost, and he scares them. I would not consider that a crime. I mean, it's it's not. This is not like a place of business. This is not a public place. This is like an abandoned island. Yeah, no, no one should really be on this island. It's, frankly, it's amazing this thing hasn't been ransacked before. I mean, he's here looking for the treasure of Vasquez, but the whole castle seems to be filled with relics and valuable artifacts. I mean, they're walking past old ruined banquet tables full of d d uh, decomposing food that also have like jewel laden bowls on them <laughs> and silver platters um yeah like basically had he not already been wanted in six states i do not believe for a second that they could have like cuffed him and taken him away yeah they definitely seeded that in there for that reason because he, man he's just got too much charm he seems too nice he's got that magician's charm about him uh, so blue I mean, Bluestone, ridiculous, like... And I, I gotta say one thing. After the game crashes on the island, they find a note that he's left them, they say, in retrospect. He left them this note saying, Danger, get off the island or else, or something like that. But they find this on the back of a map, which is skittering around the island on top of a crab. So, he, like, uh, Bluestone the Great ostensibly wrote this note, put it on a crab, sent this crab in the direction of the gang... Knowing more than about Scooby-Doo than most of us did at this time, that Scooby will inevitably have a critter interaction. A critter action? Scooby was so, I would say naive, but he doesn't get wiser as this show progresses or as different iterations take place because he sees a crustacean with, like, claws that snap, mm -hmm. but he puts his snout as close to it right. as caninely oh, possible. That actually hurt. That's the one moment of tension that really made me clench this episode. <laughs> and then, like, he's, his nose gets snapped and stretched like Laffy Taffy in the factory. Uh, you know, it's kind of a sad thing in Scooby-Doo that the gang gets ever more jaded, but Scooby never gets the wiser. It's the worst of both worlds. 
Um, all that to say, Bluestone the Great had an interesting plan. I think he's getting a worse... I think this is him trying to go on the straight and narrow, honestly. It is interesting that the reason Bluestone was trying to, to scare them away is because he was looking for Vasquez's treasure. But the episode does mm. not wrap with them finding Vasquez's treasure, nor does it end with them being like, well, gang, I guess we'll never know where the treasure went. And then, like, the camera pans to it, like, underneath, you know, like, a rock or something, like, just out of sight. You'd think it'd be something like that. Yeah, like, the uh, the crab from earlier sits atop the treasure. Um, but He's, uh, he's, shoot, what was his name? Kermit the Hermit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Kermit the Hermit? Um... Did you ever read any books by by children's author and illustrator Bill Peet, E E T? Oh, you mean like Mr. Frog, Mr. Toad? Nah, man. I see it now. Oh, these are really charming. I like this. Okay, is that not a crab? Who this has is tons a of crab money? sitting on top of tons of money, uh, Scrooge McDuck style. You've you've summoned the perfect <laughs> image, uh, dear listeners. If this feels like an unnecessary tangent, it's not. Go search it up, Hermit the Kermit. It's. Um, what is that, 16th, <laughs> 13th, 14th on Google Images. Can't miss it. Hang on. Oh, Kermit the Hermit actually is earlier on, but not with money. Oh, wow. It's kind of cool. I might read that. Uh, if you haven't read um, any of Bill Pete's <clears throat> picture books, you are doing yourself a great disservice. These were my bread and butter when I was a child. They're really, really, really good. They are uh, lovingly rendered and illustrated. And very fun. Something I'll have to check out myself. I do love an odd occasional uh, children's book. The the treasure, they, they do think they find the treasure in the end, but it turns out it's just like a gopher digging in the ground that Scooby has yet another animal interaction with. So it's, I feel like the episode just can never end with the gang getting rich. That can never happen. And, and we, uh, for our listeners, we have covered a few episodes at which it looks like the gang is about to make a big. Um, at the end of Wedding Bell Booze, they find old... Indian, by which I mean to say First Nations or Native American treasure, and it turns out to be uh, maize. Maize. (laughs) Or as my people call it, corn. Uh, Centuries old and still surprisingly edible. Yeah, you could could plant that stuff but not eat it, I think I said at the time. And Uh, at the end of um, um, What a Night Night for a Fright, uh, Scooby comes into, what is it, like, was it a million dollars? In Confederate money, yeah. That was ultimately worth nothing, apparently. Um, and I think there's a reason why, and we explore that reason in Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue. That is the reason why they should never get money. They're, the dynamic only exists when they're poor. So that's that's the bookends of the episode, uh, or at least that's the very end I mean, of the episode. I do want to touch on one last thing just regarding like the conclusion and, and the way it wraps up. Is Scooby digs up this gopher, and the gopher's like, don't dig me up, and like covers up the hole, mm. which I thought was funny. Um, but then, w- one thing that is notable about this, this being only the second episode, and we've done the 10th episode, uh, which is that clown one, the scary circus. Yeah, um, hmm, whatever that one was. Uh, Bedlam in the Big Top. Bedlam in the Big Top. Uh, and, and notice that it's not, I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> Scooby, but like not quite Scooby. Um, and man... Scooby, you know how normally Scooby would oh, be like, Scooby oh would say like, Oh my gosh, how could I almost skip, and you'd be like, how could I, oh yeah. Yeah, oh Scoop, <laughs> like that, that's your catchphrase all right. Do you oh, remember man. what Scooby says at the end of this episode? I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I had a note on it, and I was almost ready to skip past. He says, "Well, Rubidy do." <laughs> <laughs> well, Rubidy do. It's amazing. I want to say in the original episode it ended with him saying Scooby Dooby Doo, but I don't know. I'm not sure. No. Uh, well, Rubidy well, do. I really, I would have loved it if at the end of each episode in season one they just it was him throwing different catchphrases at the wall. Well, Roddy well, Roddy Ra, it's gonna be so sarcastic in that one. Well, Roddy da di da. Well, that's the way the way Rocky rumbles. <laughs> I was about to do that one. Is it okay? You, we both were going for yeah. the same. We were yeah. we chose it for the same reasons. I anyway, assume. Uh, uh, Don't forget to Ray and Rudy your bets. Well, that is the way the way very, he turned on his own. Yeah, he's a he's a regular. Benedict Arnold. <laughs> I was gonna say Uncle Tom. I like yours better. Uh, that I think that is a, I think that is the conclusion. I think we can yeah. now take a look back at the episode. Yep. Um, almost. Just one other note I have to make is that I just went to What a Night for a Night and watched the very ending of it. Um, he does at the very end pull off the knight's helmet or the visor up and say Scooby Doo. So not Scooby Dooby Doo. But definitely more of that than, well, scoobity, not well, scoobity do either. Uh, he says, well, rubity do. He can't say ska at that very end. Just a lot of, I mean, look, I have a ton of observations. Please, can, can you take me through your observations? Because there were too many for me to get notes on. Uh, when the episode opens up with this this tiny island with, with a pretty... Uh, it, not a very substantial like castle or structure on it. it. It's the most sinister and rundown looking castle I think we've seen yet, to be frank. We zoom in on the top of a tower where there's a little bit of a window. And what I thought was really funny, and which really <laughs> robs the ghost of all of its menace, is the ghost is there. <laughs> just, I, as you're describing it, I'm realizing it. <laughs> and he's, he's got a spyglass. He's looking through the spyglass and he sees the gang. Yeah, he does it, almost some binoculars... No, but the spyglass makes him look more like a pirate, so it is kind of, like, in line with the scariness. It does rob him of some of his supernatural horror, <laughs> I think, to, to, for him to need a spyglass. And also, I'm not sure why he's looking out. I guess it's because he's worried about the authorities coming in. But we do have that classic opening on the villain watching the gang approach, as the gang approaches on boat in, on this very foggy eve. They are, after the whole thing with the crab and the map... Uh, they are going to the castle, and uh, Velma explains sort of like uh, who owned the castle and who like lived there or whatever. She and and we all know that very helpful mnemonic device. Like we all learned. I mean, I didn't go to American schools, but you did I, for most of your life. I did. I, I went to some Canadian schools. Um, but who could forget? Um, Vasquez sailed the seas in 1612. He was a pirate. He built a castle. <laughs> Pascal said, let's in 1612, she was a parody built a castle. Everyone knows it. Yeah, every uh, every teacher had their own uh, version <laughs> of the anagram of uh, Vasquez sailed the seven seas. He had an island. He built a castle. Um, of course, that's V-S-S-H-H-A-N-H-B-A-C, which, again, every teacher is going to do differently. Um for me, it was uh, Vanguard's slash Saucy Hose Hotly 
and not here begone ace centuri went to very different schools <laughs> i went to an american school man it's just one step up from being raised on the streets we both went to an international school for a lot of our upbringing so I have no excuse for knowing as little as I know. But yeah, it's Vasquez has very little detail given on him for the fact that he sailed the seven seas. He had an island. He had a castle. And and uh, it's never directly stated in the episode that this phantom is the phantom of Vasquez. No, they just say it's a phantom. So maybe they just think it's somebody he killed or something. It, it, it's, that, really, there's no speculation whatsoever. It's weird to me, though. You would think that having it be the actual ghost of Vasquez would make i mean the ghost would be so much more interesting if he's like an actual ghost pirate you know like if he had like the paraphernalia that comes hmm. with being a ghost pirate i agree with you there i think the thing that that stops us up from reaching that point is that the gang is takes so long to be ready to even question that it's a ghost for one thing they don't see the ghost for quite a while into the episode for another thing velma's rationality is at full play here it takes a little bit for her to be convinced and same for freddie by the time it feels like we have the opportunity to say, could it be Vasquez's ghost? We've already spent all our time just getting to the point of, is it a ghost? Which, it, I guess it's just a, an unusual amount of rationality, of skepticism that we see from the gang. They haven't seen too many ghosts and mysteries just yet. Okay, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about Velma's rationality, but I'm going to quote an exchange that takes place between, um, ooh, uh, between Velma and Shaggy in this episode that I loved. Um, it, it's not very consistent, okay, but lay it I on thought me. it very funny. And it's, uh, Velma's like, there's a very logical explanation for this. Quick, tell me! The place is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> she, it took a while for her to get to that point. She didn't want to go there. It, it, she had to be dragged. But yeah, Velma's rationality does break down too. Although we get a little taste of her braininess when she's in the boat. She gives some... Uh, highfalutin definition of fog which i did uh, not even care to write down i'm gonna be perfectly honest uh, it was, there was too much my of goodness it. i came close but at a certain point i was like i i could swear a one of those words is made up i i like what they're doing with each of the characters here they feel fully realized I, one thing i'm going to take just a moment to mention is that i thought the animation was really superb all the way through this didn't feel lazy or thin any really anywhere in the yeah, episode i mean i i noticed a few spots here and there but i i think you're right that on the whole it felt very well animated. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm definitely cutting in some early episode slack. There's some uh, trace lines here and there, but they uh, they put in a good amount of effort that I feel like maybe wasn't always there. Uh, that's kind of a mean thing to say. We also have a trope at one point of Velma carrying the whole gang, which is very early on for that to happen. You're right. We've we've talked about Velma a little bit. Mm -hmm. I want to switch gears and talk about Daphne. Yeah, I mean, she got she separated from the group, so she had a little solo time this episode. We should touch on that. They're talking about, like, oh, you know, there are not really secret passageways and castles. That's only seen in movies. Uh, situational irony? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think that's so, what it is. Or dramatic irony, dramatic irony. right? So, um, situational is when more person does Yeah. The floor opens up, and Daphne gets whisked away. Yep. Sl um, slides down a chute into the basement. And... and Many people level this criticism about against old Scooby-Doo that Daphne is a damsel in distress. But that doesn't really play out here, I wouldn't say, because she's not in distress such that anyone needs to save her. She's fully capable of saving herself and, in fact, injures Shaggy thinking Shaggy's the ghost. Yeah. Oh, so, so they've been separated. 
Daphne is not captured, which I think is important to note. She's just separated from the rest of the group. And at one point, she hides behind a corner and lifts a largish vessel above her head. It looks to like smash a vase. it down on the ghost. She bonks it down on Shaggy's head, and you think like it's gonna shatter like uh like sugar glass, and Shaggy will be fine. But it just it bongs like it's made of stone. I mean, look, this is this is the second episode of Scooby Doo ever, and uh, we have. Daphne enacting physical violence against other people. Yeah, and in fact, wasn't one of the reasons Scooby-Doo was created was so that they would have non-like physically violent physical comedy? You are right. It was supposed to be a response to a lot of like the G.I. Joe-esque sort of like superhero-y action-y shows. Yeah, but even so, Scooby-Doo doesn't have a lot of that. And I don't think I'd watch this episode and want to act that out. Like, it's very situational. Um... But yeah, Daphne does manage to save herself. One thing that com- comes to me about this episode is that there are a lot of little magic things throughout that we just kind of have to attribute in retrospect to Bluestone's status as a magician. For instance, there's a skull that talks to Scooby and Shaggy. Um, there is a magic sandwich that appears out of nowhere for Shaggy, along with some magic mayonnaise. Uh, mustard. But Mustard, uh, excuse you, me. You're right in saying that these sandwich components, <laughs> uh, they levitate and sort yes. of... You know, that's the magical quality that they have about them. So these are, we, we just have to attribute a lot of fancy going-ons to Bluestone status as a magician. And it's kind of amazing. Like, this guy would run a heck of a haunted house if he did go in the straight and narrow. If he didn't have to give all of his magic secrets the moment that he was arrested and thus ruin any chance he'd have of being a magician later on. Uh, I, so, again, I have, I have a lot written down, so I don't, um... <laughs> If you have anything you want to bring up, I... Uh, I, I'm torn because on the one hand, I really want to talk about Bluestone's twin brother who's still out there doing magic on, like, with his face. Or, like, the, uh, the magic chamber that Tesla built for Bluestone that he's using to keep cloning himself. (laughs) Like, those are the two things that I'm really caught between. Uh, that's a Now You See Me, Now You Don't reference. Wait, did you... No, it's Prestige. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I I don't have a good Prestige reference here. I don't have a good Illusionist reference here. I don't even have a good Now You See Me, Now You Don't, I'm afraid. What what were you going to say? I I mean, there are so many things. Please. Um, So there's there's Daphne attacking someone, and I was like, you know, nice. Nice work, Daphne. I feel like you're coming into your own. Uh, Though I guess uh, future episodes are more regressive. Um, to sort of, I, I assume they must be. Yeah, this is before, yeah, I don't know what they wanted Daphne's thing to be early on, but later it becomes danger-prone Daphne. She becomes both the da- the damsel and the klutz, um, which seems like D- Velma already kind of has that territory, but I guess she, there's plenty to go around for all the women. Um, what else did you observe with your special eyes? <laughs> My brand. <laughs> We said pretty much at the outset that this is not really a mystery. They're not really trying to figure out who it is beneath the sheet. Oh. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I do want to say Fred does want to get under the sheets with, with whoever's under there. He, he, say, he gives three reasons why they can't leave the island. One, they're marooned. Uh, two, I don't remember what the second reason was. But third, there's a mystery to be solved. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, I we were going in very different directions with that sheet uh, bit. I said. Um, oh, you think he wants to march at Charlottesville? That's what. That's the direction you're going. You know, I think we both had great, valid directions. 
there is the the hints, the strains, the threads, or whatever of a mystery do make an appearance when. Hold on. Um, when Daphne finds a comically large key. Oh yeah, I, I did love this. I love a little puzzle, and I love a secret passageway. And here we've and, got. And both. when I say comically large, I mean like it's as big as like her forearm. It's, it's bigger like, than her forearm. It's like a metal Full baby's arm. arm holding a metal apple. <laughs> oh, you really liked that, didn't you? You really. <laughs> Why am I even laughing? You're giving yourself plenty. I was like, yeah, we get it, we get it, it's a big, we get it. Oh, that's where you're going with it. That's what it is. I'm tempted, I feel like I almost have to censor that. I never thought I would have to censor the word baby's arm. Okay. Uh, the, the key is so big that it's big enough to have a script written on the end of it that is, doesn't go into the keyhole. It says, second passage of the old bell. And this actually struck me as... um. Did you ever read Brian? It's it's not jo- Jacques. It's Jake's. It's Brian it's Jake's. Jake's. Oh yeah. man, horrible! I feel like horrible if to his, think about. If his last name was spelled like it sounds, Jake's, Redwall would be half as popular as his. <laughs> no, who would be buying that from Brian Jake's? People look. I love saying like Brian Jacques. Yeah, like that just sounds cool. <laughs> but uh, it, it, does it sound like something out of Redwall or like a puzzle out of Redwall? Uh. It, Redwall typically what what will happen at, in in sort of the middle of the book is that there's going to be a lot of violence mm-hmm. and like warfare taking place in the woodlands. But back at Redwall Abbey, I apologize to our listeners who don't care about these extremely grisly children's books. For what it's worth, listeners, I am like mo- many of you potentially and do not care. Hey, I like this though, Evan. We're splitting the difference. We don't both hate a popular thing. One of us doesn't like one of us. This is how it should be. This is nice. We're, this is not like Redwall is is does not fall in the same realm as Arrested Development yeah, for you and I. Yeah, or our whatever Star Wars. Anyways, we don't, <laughs> I'm not going to list all the Doctor Who. Okay, forget it. Um, uh, what, yeah. I, I don't really know the structure. In the middle of the book, there will be like a mystery solved at uh, Redwall Abbey. Yeah, it'll it'll switch between these two uh, different narratives that are going on concurrently. One is always warfare out in the woodlands somewhere, and back at the Abbey there's always a mystery or a puzzle that someone has left behind. And typically it's defined like the sort of Martin the warrior that has been like squirreled away, no pun intended, somewhere <laughs> within the Abbey. Um, and it is often something like this, like second passage of the old bell. There's always like wordplay mm. involved. Um, and in this case, um, the old bell is actually a book and they have to go to the second passage of said uh, tome. It's great. It's a great little puzzle. My only complaint with it is that it's solved almost immediately. It has no time to ferment and uh, develop umami, which is kind of a critical <laughs> component of any puzzle for me. Evan, side note, I've been watching Shokugeki no Soma, Food Wars, that Evan recommended to me, and I've never thought more about umami, <laughs> even though I still don't know what it, it tastes like. I didn't realize until we were watching it together over this past, like, Christmas break or whatever, how often they bring up umami and, like, the importance of umami. Almost every dish is all about the umami and trying to strengthen the umami. And, (laughs) oh, man. Okay, uh, back to the umami of Shaggy's Dagwood. Ooh, the umami of Shaggy's Dagwood is going to be the name of my first first LP. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I really like that. 
what were we talking about? Um, Redwall, the puzzle, the the passage of the second bell, or uh, yeah, the passage, whatever the puzzle was, they they solve it almost immediately. I wanted to give that mystery a little time to ferment and them to figure it out down the line, but it was within ten seconds of presenting it. Uh, there's more that happens. Um, I have two things back to back. I'm just oh, I actually have a lot to go through. I can go through them and then we can discuss if that's cool. Good, hit me with it. So at one point, um, there's this, there's this room of of magic. Uh, I I've been using the word paraphernalia a lot, but just you know like stuff that magicians would use, um, and and eventually and there's a lot of like fun chase sequences and gags. But at one point, there is a magic carpet that is like helpfully like labeled like this is a magic carpet, so. Fred and Daphne get on it a whole new world style. Yeah. Um, except that Daphne has not been animated to move. I I did not notice that. I'm embarrassed to say. It's very disturbing. She it almost looks like you know like mm. toys where one where a character is like <laughs> affixed to the vehicle. That's what it yeah. looks like. It looks like it's like like she has a small uh, like hole in her knees that matches a peg protrusion from the carpet. You have to like a McDonald's yeah. toy is basically what. So we're it's thinking. like Fred is like a normal like freestanding toy, and he's sort of riding on the back of this this Daphne magic carpet like co- combination. The next thing I want to talk about is big because it, it's it. It's such a great Tom Hanks gags. movie. It's what. <laughs> It, well, it touches on, like, gags or, like, bits, which you and I love mm. in and outside of Scooby-Doo. The first instance, and so so let me touch on that, and I'll touch on the second one, and then we can get into it. Mm. The first instance is um, when they're like, oh, Scoob, uh, we're going to go in, you keep watch out here. And then Scoob's like, oh, I'm wounded, you know, like, I've been hurt. Uh, so they do some, some Scooby snack bargaining, which you love. I love I love Scooby Snacks. I love Scooby Snack bargaining. I don't want it to come easy. I want a negotiation. And they do negotiate. A Fred says one, and that's not enough. And then it's two, and then three. He eventually takes three. And then mm. what's bonkers is that they send him in, like, um, like like a parakeet in a coal mine. <laughs> you know that was my thought overall. And we said this before. I think one of the earliest established things about Scooby Doo is that his life is worth less than the rest of the gang. That's a fact. A sad fact. It's, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's true. He's a dog. His is not a human life. So, it, at least at that point in this episode, they're willing to risk his safety over theirs. Yeah, and it, it, I guess it makes the moment seem scary, but it, it makes me think that the only times they're walking beside Scooby as an equal is when they're not afraid. But as soon as they're scared, they want him walking across the plank on his own, or rope, as it were, no matter how ill-suited he is for the task. But uh, Scooby, to his credit, is happy to do it for the Scooby snacks. As soon as he's got the snacks, he's true to his word. The second instance, um, and, and after I touch on this, I really want to take a deep dive into it. Um, Fred built this trap out of a suit of armor, a crossbow, a cannonball, and an old spring. Which, when you look at those on the surface, that sounds like a death trap. <laughs> yeah, I think Fred did want to execute the ghost. <laughs> he wanted to kill it back to life so he could kill it again. So he, he builds this phantom trap, and then it's like, Scoob, you use your your canine your keen canine sense of smell, and and sniff out the phantom. And Scooby, instead of being injured, now pretends that he has a cold. Yes, he he does the classic thing you do when you've got a cold. He gets a basin of water and puts his feet into it, his feet paws into it, 
I think he has like a bag over his head and the heated bag and then the blanket over his shoulders. And I love, I am over the moon <laughs> for for the gang asking Scooby to do things and for him coming up with reasons why he is I, incapable of doing said things. The only thing that could have topped this cake for you, I know, is if he tapped his paw on a swivel and it did a 360 <laughs> with creaky sound effects. That's the oh, only thing that was missing. I love it. You know how much I love that. I do know. Yeah, I know you, man. And I loved it too. I, I love the negotiation. My only wish is that it, it was something that Scooby specifically needed to do rather than something the rest of the gang was just disinclined to do. Like, ah. Uh, but hey, it is what it is. He's just a dog. Let me come up with another example. What is something else dogs are good at? I think sniffing him out was good. Uh, so that, that made a lot of sense there. Going into it, like a canary in a coal mine is not a great thing. The thing where Scooby was the fastest runner in a previous ep prior slash later episode made a lot of sense. Because he's a dog. It, I mean, this just seems... Um, a, a passage that's small makes a lot of sense, too. Because we've talked about... Well, let me let me segue into into the follow-up, and then we can discuss all of this as a whole. And I apologize that I keep sort of adding on to this, but I think there's a lot of meat here. Um, that's okay. Scoob does not yeah, want to yeah. sniff out the Phantom, because he's cowardly. Until Fred says, Scoob... Oh, don't you want to be like Lassie? Uh -uh. Don't you want to be like Rin Tin Tin? Uh -uh. Don't you want to be like John Wayne? And that does it for Scooby. Scooby apparently wants, even though he liked, uh, what was it, Star, like Dog of the West in the previous episode, John Wayne is his real role model. Um, for additional context uh, for our listeners, um, pr just prior to this, the gang is worried that the ghost will not ch chase Scooby. Uh, and I quote, well, how do we know the Phantom will chase Scooby-Doo? He's a dog. And it's just like, this has not a problem Which, after this episode. Not in any other episode, yeah. The, get, the villain seems way more eager to chase and probably murder a dog than any other member of the gang. It's as if most villains think the dog is the one that will be <laughs> testifying against them in court. They, they're fearing Scooby they, on they the stand. They dress Scooby-Doo up. He looks what I... I, I liken him to what to Secret Squirrel. He has like a trench coat and a and a hat and and a big mustache. They they want to make him look like a human so that this ghost will chase him, which, uh, sure, um, yeah. It's I I was gonna say a flasher with a fake mustache, but Secret Squirrel is a good reference. What what I want to touch on is the fact that Scooby throws himself into this Wayne-esque role. And, and Velma even points out that Scoob's greatest weakness is that he's a ham. Or a, uh... He, he's an actor. Yeah, he's an overperformer. He chews the scenery. Um, and, and it made me think about, um... Jonathan Coltonberry and, and Zach Moncrief and, uh, Be Cool Scooby-Doo. I don't know why I said it like that. And, like, the emphasis was, like, all wrong. Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Be Cool Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Uh, Zach Moncrief, where, and you also said Jonathan Colton I Barry, which I guess is it's canon for us at this point. Where where what they do is um, what they they wanted to fixate less on Shaggy and Scooby eating food and more on the fact that Shaggy and Scooby uh, they defy physics a lot. There's a lot of like running on mm. air away from things and that kind of thing, and and that was something they enjoyed and they wanted to play with. This seems like it's just as ripe for the picking and the playing with if that's what you do with your fruit um y you know like i i really like the idea that scooby is at heart a coward but if you can spin it in a way that allows him to act 
all of a sudden he he wants to do it. He's down to do it. I can't believe, I mean, we are pretty far into our run as Scooby-Doo's right now, but I think you've hit upon maybe the biggest piece of gold we've encountered yet. I'm going to throw it out there. Because that is the big dichotomy is we want the, we want the Scooby-Doops and we also want to maintain the cowardice. And Scooby is kind of a goofy ham. That's definitely an accurate description of him. Um, and it makes sense that kind of acting and doing a goof and hamming it up is his way to lighten the mood in something. And uh, I'm surprised we haven't had a series just yet that's really capitalized on that and has made him more of a ham and made that more of a thing. I mean, if... I think, like you said, that is ripe for the picking and the pickling, which is what I do to my fruit. <laughs> I, oh, man, I do love things that are pickled. Um, I... If you think about it, the Scooby dupe taps into Scooby's acting abilities because Scooby has to act like he's not what he is, which is a Great Dane uh, with his uh, teenage best friend, right? He's always he's always taking on a character, um, so I think that's mm-hmm. yeah. I that it, it, in those situations he is taking on bravery as he takes on a role, which I think is it. Like I said, I, I think that's great. I really like it. It, it works for a dog persona as well, because dogs are big goofballs, and they love attention, and they like performing and pleasing people. It's uh, it's very fitting. Speaking of the Scooby-Doop, here we are. We're, we're, hold on, let me look at the recording. We're almost an hour in. Uh, Scooby-Doop. We haven't seen one, but what is a Scooby-Doop? Oh, a Scooby-Doop would be where Scooby and Shaggy create, create a, an improvised scenario in which they kind of pressure the monster or villain to buy in and play a new character just as they are playing new characters. They're creating a scenario in which the social pressures are so great the monster has no choice but, but which to comply. I will say, we've done this in almost, almost every. I don't think we've done it in every. Almost every single recap episode we've ever done, we've discussed coming up with our own, we, or rather we've come up with our own Scooby dupes for the episode. I find this one very challenging. Yeah, I, I guess the thing is they almost never interact with the ghost. They're almost always running away or through it. The ghost doesn't really I do mean, anything. For one thing, although the ghost can speak, which adds to its personality or character, the ghost is a man in a sheet, and as a result does not really have hands or feet with which to interact with. Yeah, what could you do with it? Um, and it's incorporeal, so you can't really have... You can't even have Scooby and Shaggy try and treat it as a bedsheet or anything like that. I, I guess, I mean, it's pretty ripe for a KKK Scooby dupe. And it's about that time. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to pull my, I'm going to throw my weight in there. Yeah, let's do that. Or I might make a second pass at this. M- might give this draft another another run. I will say this is tough for a Scooby dupe, this, um, this episode. I, I do have an idea. Okay, lay it on. Uh, and, and again, I, I think the challenge is that it's 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 incorporeal. It doesn't really react physically with anything. And also, you don't want to do anything in the magic room because this ghost is underneath the sheet a magician. Mm. So it's almost like too close to home for the culprit himself. If he's put in a scenario where it's like magic, if, if you know, it feels weird. Yeah, and, and like he wouldn't, yeah, I feel like the monster buys in because it's something that the monster isn't, I don't think the magician would buy into a magic scene, like because he knows magic, right. right? It needs to be unfamiliar a little yes, bit. Yes, that's what I'm going for. So magic is out, and that's most of what we have here. I mean, maybe a pirate scene. Pirate scene, right? What I would say, mine is like pretty, pretty 
off the wall. Mine's okay. a little out there. Uh, I don't know how good it is, but I like it personally. Is that uh, the monster, the phantom, mm. uh, opens up a door, and Scooby and Shaggy in here. This is not a KKK bit. I just want to <laughs> be upfront about that. Uh, uh, opens up the door, and Shaggy and Scooby are there, and they're wearing sheets with like eyes, eye holes cut in, cut into the sheets, um, and they're the phantom's parents. And Shaggy's like, 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 son, you never visit anymore. And and uh, Scoob's like, ah, you're you're out of here. We're out of you, but we miss you. <laughs> and and that's and and they basically they just like they shame the monster into being uh, a lackluster but, son. But what about when the monster like feels guilty and and tries to come in and spend time with them? What do they say then? I I I. I think it'd be the kind of thing where they like they sit the monster down in a in a chair, which again I, I think even an incorporeal thing should be able to like sit at a table. They're just like you know like we just want to like have it have a dinner together as a family, <laughs> and that's sort of like what they do, you know like. Mm. That's that's my idea. I I I think it's decent I, personally. I like that too. Yeah, I I really love the idea of them also like them also donning bedsheets. That's the way to go. And them being parents is such a great angle because it makes the villain inherently uncomfortable. Uh, do, do you have one? My, that mine is was going to be pirates. They were KKK related. Oh, well, okay. So pirates, like, how would you how would you play that? Um, ah, oh, that's true. Because ah, what, what do pirates do to a ghost? Um, I would have Scooby and Shaggy dress up as pirates, and um, say that they need the ghost's help to bury their treasure. Ah, it's so weak. Yours is so much better. I don't want to come up with one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also. I also choose yours. Um, there is there is some uh, in in terms of tropes that are a little bit well worn at this point or, or expected. There are portraits uh, that have eyes that move behind them, on on at least two different occasions. Mm -hmm. And there is also, uh, and 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 you know at at different points. Luke and I, uh, as hosts of this podcast, we've talked about all the different tropes um, that arise. Uh, in the early episodes, they're few and far between. Another one is a very crude reimagining, or not even, I mean, I wouldn't say crude reimagining. It's a, it's, it's a fun play on the, um, on the corridor scene. Uh, because there's, and, and this is probably, hold on, let me scroll down to our Shaggy, uh, the, the disappearing cabinets, it might be, but there are these, like, magic closet type boxes, um, and, and there, there's a brief scene where they run into one box and come out another box, which is, it's short, and, and it's not, like, the very involved, like, in one door, out, the, out another door. Yeah. But it, it feels like they're, they're playing with that idea, and I think maybe this made them realize how much fun that is. I, I love it. And I think that's part of what I love about this kind of early episode is everything feels so fresh and new. And it, they, they you can tell that they haven't fully fleshed everything out and fully realized it just yet. There, too, I think they didn't have the corridor scene. It, it, that certainly didn't appear in What a Night for a Night. That was a good catch. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think that's it. We've, we've definitely touched on everything that I really like. Um, and, and the main thing being that there are there's a lot of valuable characterization here not so much for shaggy because i think as we as we've mentioned 
Shaggy is just there to be a jack of all trades. Yeah, like the episode opens up with everyone else on the boat and Shaggy just waking up and Velma tells him, Shaggy, go back to sleep. So Shaggy is also, for no reason, like the lazy, sleepy guy. They're, they're just kind of throwing qualities against Shaggy to see what sticks. And to be fair, some of those qualities did stick. But but we find, you know, Velma's, Velma's smart. Fred makes traps. Uh, Daphne, yeah. honestly, it, it's, it's kind of cool. She got separated, but she she takes control and she tries to uh, to work with what is given to her, which is a heavy, unbreakable pot. Yeah, she's, she's kind of a strong, funny female character. I mean, at one point, she, like that scene from the intro uh, where the ghost swipes at her head just as she walks away, that scene was really funny to me, the way it played out. Like, as she was talking, and then she decided, like, my female intuition says to go this way, and then she steps just as the monster swipes. Not all the comedic timing was on point, but that was. I really like that gag, uh, which is so simple. Yeah, the it's idea so simple, but it worked. That someone might move in ways that another person trying to accost them uh doesn't expect and as a result they keep just barely missing one another amazing like i yeah i'm a huge fan and just the physicality i see why they pulled that for the uh, the intro sequence um but daphne i really like the way daphne seems in this and you know what maybe daphne is misremembered and we'll see a very different daphne as we go through this first season uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that wraps up her recap, and it also wraps up the first time ever that we've um, we've done a pithy synopsis at the beginning, and then run through and hit, uh, in this case, primarily highlights. Yeah. If you like this, let us know. I hate and we will to say yeah. this. More importantly, and Luke and I will discuss this afterwards, is whether or not we like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we will maybe let you know. You will just see what we do next time. Um, but uh, why don't we wrap the episode? Let's talk to you guys about the outro, if we may. So Scooby Dudes is not just the voices you're hearing on this podcast. It's also a media presence. It's a, it's a way of life. And how can you tap into that way of life? How can you dude up, as the kids are saying nowadays? Well, you can start by going to ScoobyDudes.com. That's the best portal to access all of our Scooby Dude related content. I sorry, I was just I'm gonna hop up, hop on Overwatch with some friends once this is done. Um, I thought you were gonna say during the. Can outro. you okay? <laughs> this is a tip. Sorry, I was gonna say how cool would it be, but this is a n- honestly not a very cool or a good idea. I, I can tell how bad this idea is. But I can tell I'm also gonna like kind of want. If there it. was like a Scooby Dudes like Blizzard account, and it's just like, <laughs> play Overwatch with the Scooby Dudes, like that's our account, and we literally just play video games with this account and spam the global chat with <laughs> with our podcast. With our podcast. Yeah, who wouldn't love listen, to play on, with the on. Scooby Dudes? Listen to our new episode, or I throw. <laughs> Listen to our new episode where I play Doomfist only. Or <laughs> I play Attack Torp. The thing is, oh, wow. people would like our podcast less when they realize how much I play Junkrat. Yeah, that has come up. Oh, have boy. I talked about that on the podcast? I feel like that does not win I me over. I have. Dude, honestly, just the idea of listen to our podcast or I throw just like <laughs> kills me. We'd get reported on both Blizzard and on iTunes. Like, we'd get reported so... Anyway. 
Uh, listeners, mm. all of that is to say is we are not, in fact, on Battle.net, but we are on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash Dudes. Yes, we're also on Twitter. We are the Scooby Dudes on twitter.com. Come check us out. Uh, if you want to go to our website, uh, it, it's a really, really cool place because you can see captioned screenshots that Luke and I have done. Uh, I put all, We made a lot of references, you know, like Brian Shocks, Bill Pete. I'm going to put a lot of those show notes in so that you can get links and see more of what we were talking about. This is some great media that you're going to get linked to. So definitely check out ScoobyDudes.com. That's my number one rec. We already mentioned Facebook, Twitter. Um, I've mentioned iTunes. Please go leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you enjoyed the podcast. If you didn't, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell us what you didn't like about it because we'll definitely read it that way and we might actually change things. Um, and one way or another, if you leave us a five-star review, Evan will read it on the air on the podcast. So that's another little incentive for you. Uh, yeah. Last thing as far as places that you can get more content from us, uh, we do have a mm-hmm. number of people who don't donate to us financially, which is, which is great. Um, they give us a little bit of money to help keep the lights on, as it were. Yes, we call them our parents. I mean, our patrons. Um, at... <laughs> At parentreon.com, at patreon.com slash scoobydudes, you can get additional exclusive content on our podcast and also help support the podcast that you love. I mean, it, it doesn't cost nothing to run this. And if you go to our uh, our official website, scoobydudes.com, you'll notice original title card art with every episode. We pay original artists every week to create that stuff. And by donating to us on Patreon, you help create... You help keep the creative juices flowing for Scooby-Doo. I am so glad you uh, p- mentioned that. We're going to get back to our patron- patrons in just a sec. I just can't avoid this uh, incredible segue. Mm. Our latest title card, uh, we her it is by an artist named Claire. Um, she does really, really great work. I love her style. I found her on Tumblr. Um, I would encourage all of you to visit her Tumblr at Spare Moon, that is S-P-A-R-E, moon.tumblr.com, uh, where she has more of her art. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're on Tumblr, follow her. She's, she's great. Um, I am really grateful that she is our first artist for 2018. Uh, so thank you so much, Claire. There's that. You, uh, if you want to go find a link to that as well, go to our website, go to the artists page. Um, yeah, just, just go to ScoobyDudes.com and look at our latest title card art, if this is the latest episode, and you'll see her work. It's amazing stuff, and you should go check her out. You should donate to us on Patreon so we can we can finally pay her. We're going to pay her one way or another, but if you donate to us, we can more easily pay our next artist. As for our patrons, we like to give them shout shoutouts every week, and we will do that 52 times, well, 50, 50 more times after this time. 50 more times? You mean other episodes throughout the year? Correct for 2018. That's right. We're gonna shout. Out, we're gonna give them each a shout out 50 more times throughout the year, and for that's like with all the patrons we have. What do we have? Like 500 patrons times 50. That's oh, that's what 25,000, 2,500, 25,000. That's 25,000 shout outs we're on track to give this year. So if you want to be one of those nameless, faceless few, no, they're not. They're not nameless because we're shouting them out. They are faceless to me, though. They're not faithless. Do you like? Do you like? No, this? I don't. Do you like I what don't. you're doing? Because we, we should we we should say their names. We should say their names. No, we're gonna say their names here, just like we're going to every other episode that we do. Thank you to these beloved donors. Yeah. Other than that, 
Anything else we need to tell these folks before we sign the effing F off? Hey, please keep listening to our podcast. Oh, yeah. We don't mention this a lot, but when you're done listening to one of our podcast episodes, come back for the next one. Please. Yeah, <laughs> we have new episodes every single Monday. Uh, we we do every episode. Come heck or high water, I was feeling a little ill this week because of that massive double-triple-decker Dagwood and uh, marshmallow and sardine sandwich I had, but we still recorded. Um, Evan, when he feels under the weather, when he has time crunches, he makes it happen. So maybe you need to step up, listener. Huh? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Is it weird that, like, that sounded almost like John Bernthal <laughs> in, like, Marvel's The Punisher? Oh, I'm proud of it. I'm happy with it. I feel like whenever I reference something, I sound like a complete shill. Just like, I did not have to say, like, net, like Marvel's The Punisher. I did not have to say, like, John Marvel's Bernthal. The Pun- yeah, you really. <laughs> Marvel's The Punisher. Uh, yeah, now streamable on Netflix. Sign up today for a month free. Yeah, you know, like, you know how I made reference earlier to, to like, promo. Hasbro's G.I. Joe? Action figures available at Toys R Us and everywhere yeah, else, children's... It's, it's like you don't know which part of the title to clip. You're like someone who reads websites by, like, HTTP. I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, listen to our next episode, if we aren't already done. Uh, yeah, that, that's it. Thank you.